Hey, John Matalavich here from the Human Advancement Podcast. I want to keep the introduction short today and get right into the podcast with Erica Suter. She is a strength and conditioning coach that specializes in soccer athlete development. I initially started following Erica a few years ago on her social media profiles. She is a fantastic resource in the field, and she has a lot of opinions that aren't of the old school mindset very forward progressive thinking but at the same time she takes the best tenets of the past and kind of applies that with the best of the new and for that reason and many more that you'll hear in this podcast i appreciate what she's doing so without further delay i want to introduce you to our podcast guest erica Suter. Hey, this is John Matalavich with the Human Advancement Podcast. I'm joined by strength and conditioning coach, Erica Suter. She focuses on uh, strength and conditioning for soccer players, much like I, I have a big, pretty big emphasis on swimmers. I've been following her online for, for a good while now. Actually, leading into this conversation, Erica, I, haven't, I didn't even do that much research as much as I usually would for people, just because I feel as though a lot of what you do lines so well with kind of my thoughts and, and some of the emerging trends in strength and conditioning. Uh, for athletes in general, whereas, you know, we, we say you're a strength and conditioning coach for soccer players and strength and conditioning coach for swimmers, but realistically what these kids are doing on the pool or what they're doing in the, you know, in the field is, real, is what's making them better at performers in their domain, but what we're doing is just making them better athletes. Is that something you can speak to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always starting with developing the human first before the soccer player. So I'm just wanting to build kids into their strongest, most resilient and fastest selves <laughs> so that when they step on the field, they can perform the dynamic actions of the game. And a lot of those actions are actually without the ball. And of course, it's important to have good ball skills, have a good first touch. But a lot of the, the game deciding actions in soccer are from sprinting or being extremely reactive and can change direction quickly. So I'm always wanting to develop the, the total human from the ground up. Yeah, just like if, I mean, they say like you need to be able to crawl before you can walk, but the same to be said, if you, wanna, if you wanna be able to run fast with the ball, you need to first be able to run fast in general without a ball kind of underneath your feet. 100%. Yeah, it's, I always get questions from parents and coaches and it, it could just be people aren't educated on technique or, or biomechanics of, of running, but a lot of them ask, well, do you do your speed work with the ball? And I always tell them, absolutely not, because otherwise we're, we're not able to get full range of motion, especially with things like acceleration, producing horizontal force, being able to drive your knees high, taking a long and strong first step. Um, and then as far as sprinting, being able to create force vertically. So again, posture is big in that, core stability, driving the knee as high as possible, arm swing. So all that stuff must be done without the ball because the ball doesn't allow for proper technique to be executed. And at that point, it's a distraction as well, <laughs> especially with young, younger athletes. You really want to focus on just one to two things at a time. That makes so much sense. I mean, 
anytime we're trying to indoctrinate an athlete and kind of get them acclimated to some new skills, I mean, we, we only do one thing at a time. I actually did. I was, I was working with an athlete, a college baseball player this morning, just on some very general uh, things with his nutrition. And he wanted to go in a lot more detail than I was willing to talk with him. I just, I just told him flat out. I mean, just, it was, I just gave him one very specific piece of advice and he was waiting for a lot more. And, and until, until that gets habituated, there's, there's no sense in even, adding anything onto that and creating any kind of confusion or chaos along the way. How did you get involved in soccer training in the first place? What, how, what was your upbringing in that? And did you play in college? Yes, I did. I played at Johns Hopkins university and leading up to my college career, I started strength and conditioning in middle school. So in the eighth grade, I was doing like power cleaning, deadlifting, like we were doing everything like hill sprints. Like it was crazy. And I remember just being introduced to it at that age. I was so much more willing to commit to something. It, it was a habit ingrained at me really young, which is why now I work mainly with like the middle school population. So starting with sometimes fifth graders, but mainly sixth graders, getting them into good habits, um, explaining to them why this is going to help them with soccer, making sure they have fun with it. I always had fun with strength and conditioning. I love my coach, super high energy, super knowledgeable. And I'm so thankful for that experience because not only did I play at a high level, I felt like I, I reached my peak in college and now I just continue to live a healthy life and maintain my strength and my well-being at age 30 and it's it's a priority for me because I started that habit so young so I want to leave that impressional kid not just for soccer but for when they do play that last game so it's more of a, a life a lifespan thing was there any resistance uh, among your parents or your teammates or their parents with with beginning a strength and conditioning regimen at such a young age it's funny because my mom actually was the one who informed me about it. She was like, Hey, do you want to do this camp? It's run by the university of Maryland strength coach for like men's and women's lacrosse. And I was just the type of kid, like I was ready to work hard. All she had to do was say that. And I was like, I'm in like, she didn't be like, try to pressure me or be like, you got to go. I was like, no, I want to go. Um, so I just, I tried it out and I was doing five days a week. Like <laughs> we were going hard and now it's even hard for kids to get one day a week, but I just saw the results that came out of it. Like that first off season I had trained with my strength coach in eighth grade and I just never looked back. I kept going. I did it for the pretty much until I went off to college. <laughs> That's remarkable. Yeah, even with swimming, it was the same thing for me. I, I had a late start. It was after my sophomore year in high school. And I mean, it, it was like a, from one year to the next, one district meet to the following year. It was remarkable, the change that you could see just from the strength training. I mean, it's just such a such a, a fantastic way to just develop that athlete as a whole, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah, it was it was incredible. Like we were doing three days a week strength and power training and then the other two days we were doing our sprinting our resisted sprints our conditioning our gassers like it, it was just an incredible experience and it was hardcore and like people now like I just released the the total you soccer fitness program and it, it's five days a week it's like that same template it's a, just a regular off-season template and there are people messaging me they're like man like this is hard stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. <laughs> 
like it is hard like all seasons hard like it has to be like three to five days a week like consistent training and if it's not hard for you it's hard for your competitors that are going to have an advantage kind of coming back into the season i mean it just comes down yeah. to that, that hard work i mean you know there's an argument to be made about genetics but that's you know outliers at the very most right what kind of train how so specifically we can talk about middle schoolers here if that's kind of your primary area of expertise how do you see these athletes when they're in season as well as out season and what how does your training differ from one to the other mm-hmm yeah, so I see most of my athletes year-round, always encourage it to the parents, educate why it's good for them. As far as the middle schoolers, it's really going to depend on the maturity of the athlete, but for the most part, when they're beginning and they have a young training age, we're starting with just the basic movement patterns. So a squat, hinge, being able to get into athletic stance so that they're, they know how to recruit their hamstrings and glutes, change direction, react properly, how to push against their body weight. So we'll do a lot of like push up or like dumbbell floor press variations, pulling. So whether that's using the TRX, um, doing pull up holds, doing, doing a band assisted pull up, or if they can get one <laughs> regular pull up. So we're just developing every single muscle group we're attacking everything but it's in a very general way so starting with body weight first then slowly adding bands then dumbbells i have sixth grade girls right now doing dumbbell deadlifts um, but they're also part of that early maturing age group where they they can handle it and they have been training with me for more than a year so they have a higher training age and they can begin to progress what um, what yeah. uh i was just saying what hinge do you start your athletes with especially at that age is it just the dumbbell deadlift what do you say what hinge pattern do you start or what ex- hinging exercise do you start your athletes with especially at that young age yeah, hinging. So just like a body weight hip hinge, so athletic stance, and then banded good mornings or banded deadlift, dumbbell deadlift, and then we'll go to more single leg deadlift. So whether that's like an ISO hold or a single leg deadlift. That, that ISO hold, I actually, I think I saw that on one of your your channels or something that you had out front, but that um, isometric one leg hold that that's been fantastic even in my own training specifically just with all this this covid craziness and trying to figure out a way to train my hamstrings at home that's it's one of the best things i've come across was is that exercise it's it's fantastic because it really allows you to feel that that end position of the single leg deadlift that everyone struggles to like get out of so you're holding that for 15 to 30 seconds you're really getting some good balance and stability training. So it's it's been great for my middle schoolers. Um, I mean, balance is a big one. That's another thing I like to touch on with them. Not just static, but also dynamic. So being able to hop and then hold your landing, doing it in all planes of motion. So just adding variety to to your balancing drills as well. Yeah, there's there's a few out there that I really like, like a, a blinded contralateral dumbbell hold. I'm not sure if you've heard of it by name, but basically where you you hold like a march position, let's say my right hand, and then or with my right foot kind of elevated, and then holding a dumbbell in that right hand with my eyes closed, and trying to just maintain that tripod foot stance with my left foot. It's that's pretty rough, and I do like a little bit of I I pretend to be a surfer. I pretend to be a, a paddleboarder sometimes when I when I'm at the when I'm at the beach and. 
and I know that my feet are one of the first things to get gassed. And just for that, for that alone, just for my own utility of trying to be able to spend more time on the board when I'm at the beach, I really enjoy a lot of those, those foot drills. I think people don't realize how, how just completely weak their feet are. Yeah, 100%. Always just starting with the, the strength of the foot, especially with the younger kids, um, is it has been amazing. And I, I found like a lot of like the girls who started with me in middle school, when they got into the high school program, we were really like pulling some weight on one leg. Um, whether that's like Bulgarian split squat, single leg deadlift, like we were going like forties and fifties, um, just because they established that base and they've been in the program. So again, it's going back to like that general to specific. And I think with like the middle schoolers, um, parents and coaches are very quick to like jump to the advanced like let's train like a pro athlete when they haven't even developed the basic motor skills to handle that stuff yeah that, that's pretty true but i i like what you're saying about how you know training them generally but in some regard there has to be some you know it's the population of soccer players is something that's not the same as say a population of baseball players or something else so with that in mind, there's got to be something that you're training, even if it is general in some regard, there has to be things that you're doing for soccer players specifically, no? Yeah, I mean, we're doing, as far as the agility and conditioning, yeah, it's absolutely going to be specific. So I, I like to teach kids the skill of how to decelerate first, how to reaccelerate. And then once they get that, we're doing drills in a more spontaneous setting. So they could be reacting off of a visual cue that I give or an auditory cue or another visual cue, like going against someone or a game of tag and they have to react to externals. But I always want to reinforce how do you change direction? How do you decelerate? How do you pump the brakes? How do you sprint? And, and that's something we're actually doing year round. <laughs> it's, it's the same as soccer skills. You have to constantly be working on your first touch year round. You have to constantly be improving your shooting technique. It's the same with sprinting technique, acceleration, and change of direction. What are you doing for deceleration work? How do you, how do you train that in your athletes? Mm-hmm. Always starting with athletic stance. So being able to get into a hips, hips low position, soft knee bend, making sure they're not collapsing and hunched over so that they're able to shift their shoulders better. And then we'll, we'll get, progress to like linear. So linear sprint and then decelerate back into athletic stance. So being able to pump the brakes and then beyond that linking the deceleration movement with the reacceleration because rarely in soccer are they sprinting and then just like stopping <laughs> there's a time and place to learn that but eventually we're adding the component okay like sprint stop go again and like figure out how to reaccelerate so we'll start linear and then eventually we'll go linear lateral and then add in the multi-directional piece and from the one of the things i was going to ask you next about was the idea of you know obviously injury prevention and injury care is going to be something that's huge in soccer players, specifically at that ACL. But I imagine just, just the act of, of honing in on the skill of deceleration has to help extraordinarily with that ACL care. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of the, the biggest things I, I like to hammer home with the kids, with the parents, with coaches. It's, 
you can have a strong athlete and a coordinated athlete, but if they can't change direction efficiently and get into that low position so that their, their knee is stable, then it's going to be really tough to fully reduce the chance of injury. So that, that skill of decelerating and cutting and changing direction is it's so critical. Uh, what else are you doing for your ACL care? Total body strengthening. So again, just coming back to developing the the complete human, a lot of hamstring work, especially eccentrically, and then a lot of glute work, being able to activate the quads and core stability is a big one. (laughs) And also upper body strength as well. What are you doing for your hamstring work and for your glute work on a regular basis? Deadlifts, so bilateral, single leg, um, glute bridge variations, um, iso holds, um, elevated glute bridges, elevated single leg bridges, single leg bridge marches, and then abduction-wise, jab steps, lateral band walks, multi-directional band walks, um, resisted lateral crawling. That's, (laughs) That's probably one of my favorites because it's like killing two birds with one stone. It's getting your core stability, and then it's also getting your hip work. And it's, it's brutal. (laughs) Um, And then as far as adduction, we're doing like a lot of side plank variations, Copenhagen's um, soccer ball squeezes in between the thigh while they're holding a bridge. So really developing the hips tied to the core. Um, That whole region has to be co-contracting and doing its job so that athletes can control their their center of mass when when they're decelerating changing direction uh i'll just just going back to what you said about the the band resisted uh lateral bear crawl that the with the band resisted that's not something i've done but one of the things that i i have liked uh incorporating is we call like a, a bear crawl square so it's just like a 10 yard by 10 yard like forward It'll be a start with, usually start with the forwards bear crawl and then right bear crawl and then reverse bear crawl and then left bear crawl back to that starting position. And I, you know, just from doing it with so much regularity and, and demonstrating it to people, I think they, they don't recognize the, the pain involved with it until they actually do it or, or not the pain, but the, the strain involved with it until they, they do it. But yeah, those, that'll, that'll let you up. I, I'm definitely excited to incorporate that, that band resistance lateral bear crawl yeah I like that that sounds like a really cool drill and I like that it includes all different directions so it's it's always good for any athlete to just get out of that linear plane and to explore movement sideways and rotationally especially with a coordination exercise like crawling so that's that's a really great one as well that's something that we tend to throw uh, early on so the, there's a few caveats for for when we'll program that it's usually early in the morning so early morning sessions where we really need to get that that heart rate up we need to get that temperature elevated and it's usually with more advanced athletes that could because some athletes can't even just handle being just just hanging on their serratus for that long that so there's there's a lot of uh a lot of properties that kind of go into making sure that we we have athletes on board that could do that but when we can it's going to be pretty fantastic from so i you are in the same position or a similar position that I'm in, in that you're not, I think, unfortunately, in like a collegiate or a high school strength and conditioning 
position, you're, you have a little bit, you're bound by the head coach a little bit more than you might otherwise be in, in a private facility uh, set up kind of like we have at our disposal. Um, so I've, I've asked this question in the past and, and you could, and you, you can generally tell where people get their paychecks from based off of how they answer this. But, you know, where, where do you think um, soccer coaches, what do you think they're getting right? And, and where do you think they need some improvement? Oh, man. Um, I think the biggest one that's popping up for me now is understanding the stages of child development and what kids need at each stage and understanding that we have to treat physical training like it's schooling, <laughs> like it's um, soccer development. So if we're teaching a kid how to dribble, we're starting maybe with their, you know, their dominant foot or whatever that may be. And we're starting slow and just with one thing at a time. And then we're progressing to maybe doing a faster dribble. Okay. And then doing it under pressure. So the physical training is the same as learning soccer skills. Always start with what the kid needs at that age. Um, so as far as like the youngest ages, coordination and stability and being able to move in all planes of motion, being able to skip, being able to crawl, um, being able to push, pull, lunge, squat, hinge, and then eventually progressing that and using load and really working on strength, speed, and power development. So it's this whole like trajectory, um, just like anything in life. I always say you don't go from like um, addition and subtraction and then straight to differential equations. Like you have to do like geometry, algebra, and like all the stuff in between. So it's the, it's the same thing with physical development, um, especially with like growth and maturation and understanding what's going on with kids when they're, they're growing really fast and they're in peak height velocity and they need extra help working on their coordination and how to decelerate and get into all of these movement patterns properly. So I think that's the biggest one that pops up for me now is there are kids in the hands of, of coaches who don't have an understanding. And I don't expect coaches to calculate peak height velocity on the pitch, you know, without a calculator. But I expect them to at least understand that there's certain things that kids need to, to work on in order to develop them physically in a safe manner. Well, if you look at the extreme of that, is you have um, parents that are very that have kids at a, a very young age where they're actually trying to. There's a relationship between parents trying to force their kids to walk before they should. So kids that should probably be crawling, they're forcing them to walk at a very young age, just you know for the for the Instagram post or whatever. But then these are the same kids that are kind of coming back later on with with higher incidence of sports injury just because they they weren't ready for that stage of development so everything's just it's just based on pretty flawed mechanics i'm so glad you mentioned that because it's it comes back to when we all were infants and like our one neighbor's kid was walking months before another person's kid so it's it's just like the beautiful process of child development. Everyone's on their own biological clock. And then when we get into the growth spurt, 
some kids are maybe going to slow down during that time while their next door neighbor is going to be like fast as heck. <laughs> so we have to understand what's going on during that time and really meet the kid where, where they are and not, not force super advanced and high volume training upon them thinking it's going to help their growth spurt. We actually might want to dial back and just focus on the basics and, and the things we can control like coordination and, and reinforcing technique and balance. So I think, yeah, it's, it's important to just really understand that everyone's on their own schedule. I, I mean, I'm having flashbacks to college when I, was the fastest I, I ever was in my career. And I, that was age 21. <laughs> I was fast in high school, but when, when I reached college, it was like, wow, like this all came together. And like, for me, like that's the time when I want it to come together, not at like U12. Like at U12, I'm just learning and having fun. <laughs> yeah, that's and awesome. <laughs> Do you think there's a difference between, uh, so th this is something you'd probably see more than I see, but do you, do you can have any different considerations for indoor versus outdoor uh, soccer players, like, or, or turf versus grass? Is there anything that kind of comes into consideration with that? Yeah, it's interesting. So I, a lot of the kids I work with here, they're doing indoor in the winter months. So that during that time, like it's, it's not really an off season template for me. Like we're not doing conditioning and a lot of change of direction stuff because they're already getting that in that small space. So we're during that time, we're working on more linear and acceleration and speed development. So I have to figure out, okay, well, what are they getting in their practices and games during this season? And how can I, as the strength coach, fill in what they need? Um, I mean, we're always strength training year round, but during that time as well, they're playing so many games where we're basically cutting the sets and reps in half and we might be going heavier on the load, but we're not doing as much volume in terms of the sets and reps. How do you, how do you talk to parents about overtraining and do you, do you ever have the conversation with parents where, where you suggest that they, they maybe dial back some of their out of season soccer specific exploits? Yeah, it's a, it's always a tough conversation to have. <laughs> I think a lot of people are under the impression of falling behind or losing their skills if they do take some months off from games. But I mean, I, I always will encourage it, but I approach that conversation from the, the place of just asking them questions. Okay, well, how does your kid feel? Is their performance stagnating? Is it waning? Um, do you feel like they're getting better? Do you think they need to recover? And I just would rather have them answer the question. And, and then when they do answer the question, they're like, oh, like, well, maybe we should cut back and, and give them a break. <laughs> Are you familiar with the, the, the book, The Talent Code? I've heard of it, but that's one that's on my list I haven't read yet. <laughs> That, I would read that. It, that was just, we use that as a, a line from that as our quote of the week, but they, one of the thing, one of the populations they talked about in there is, is why uh, the Brazilian football team was so dominant when it was, and it was because of that, that futsal game where it was a little bit more specific practice and it just basically learning under different conditions, but being able to kind of correct the game a little bit differently than, 
than just traditional playing models. I, I think I think I know just you know as, as someone that that enjoys just continuing education. I think that so far that's a book that I I think you would would probably enjoy. Yeah, I uh, that's definitely on my list. And I foots I mean futsal is just it's it's a great game. I mean anything that's a small sided for soccer four v four is great for the kids to really work on reacting in a tight space and being able to be aware of their surroundings and, and scanning. Um, I mean, too often I see uh, kids doing skill drills where their heads down and there's, there's no defenders, there's nothing, but I think like futsal or a free play game is the best way to work on skills or just playing one V one in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And I'm one of the things I've said before, and it, it's hard, um, uh, it's kind of, I think it, it's a tough sell for parents, but just having kids come in some days and do things, like you said before, like tag and, and things where we're doing acceleration, deceleration, it's simple to program. But I think people feel like they're kind of getting ripped. Parents feel like the game ripped off. Kids have a good time, but parents feel like as though there's something wrong with this. But yeah, I, I just think that that non-linear, just the, the, the randomness of it is, is definitely fantastic. It's, it seems like it's kind of along the same lines. Um, now, I, I'm aware, or I, at least I think I'm aware that you'd probably agree that, you know, we need to train the individual more than we need to train um, the positions of soccer. So midfield versus defender, these kind of things. But do you, are there different considerations for, say, a goalie versus midfielder? Oh, 100%. I, I actually was having this conversation with um, – Jesse Goldman and he's a, he's a goalkeeper performance coach he does amazing work and he says that goalkeeping is kind of the forgotten position and they just kind of like soccer teams just kind of put the goalkeeper in the conditioning drills and like the warm-up laps <laughs> um, whether it's a lack of education or just laziness but mm. goalkeepers need to be the best athletes on the field and they, they need to be strength training. They need to be power training. They need to be able to accelerate in like a, a 10 yard space and, and react quickly. So absolutely. I mean, I don't see why goalkeepers would even condition and do long distance. And I still see it at the high school level. They're just throwing goalkeepers into the one mile runs and the, it's just it's just a waste of time and doing the kids a disservice when we could be evaluating their lower body power, their acceleration, their reactive agility, their their upper body strength. So it's it's really interesting to see. I mean, absolutely, goalkeepers need a separate program. <laughs> that's, that's remarkable. So you're you're almost saying that as you're as opposed to treating them like a soccer player, almost treat them like a uh, like a track thrower or something, where we're just focusing on more like vertical plyometrics, those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, vertical power, horizontal power, strength. I mean, like some of the tackles these people are going in for is is insane. Like, especially during like a one v one or a counter attack, like they're sacrificing their lives. They got to be the strongest people on the field and the most fearless. So, I always tell my goalkeepers to train in a way where you feel robust and confident enough to be fearless going into these tackles and like putting it all out on the line. And then they're like, Oh, okay. Like that makes sense. Okay. Let's do some pull-ups. <laughs> I imagine for this might not necessarily even be a factor for some of your younger athletes, but in the case of say a high school athlete, are you doing actual Olympic weightlifting at all? Yeah, we are. Um, that's going to be more our, our upperclassmen. So once they've had that, that foundation of 
learning like deadlifting and being able to pull heavy weight from the floor then we progress it to like a, a jump shrug and then we get them to like do it on their shoulders um so yeah i do do olympic lifting but i've also found that a lot of vertical jumping variations horizontal jumping variations are just as effective with power development so i'm doing a mixture of both for sure yeah i i haven't been able to um I, there's for me there's never been a clear answer on that i mean i've i thought to the extent that it was almost like um just like a, a, a increased likelihood of, of risk um with athletes i mean I, i've done them personally i've done them with some of our higher level athletes but uh, at one point i just thought it was just too risky and then uh, my my first trip to the olympic training center in colorado it's like i you see their pro programming templates and it just looks like they're on the weightlifting team. And that, that I was going to talk about just uh, some of the other sports. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting the extent to which they'll actually go out of their way to just focus on technique in, in, and getting better specifically at the domain of, of weightlifting. Yeah, it's, it's extremely beneficial, but it, it really has to be a long-term progression and these kids have to be in a strength and conditioning program for several years to, to work up to that. And this is, this is not something we're going to accomplish in just a couple months. So if they, they want to earn the right to Olympic lift, then you got to be working with me for many years. 100%. And that's, that's one of the things just like with tag where um, people almost feel as though they're, they're being done some kind of disservice or it's a bad value just by having, uh, having an athlete just work on a PVC pipe or a broomstick for a few weeks when we're trying to incorporate some of these things slowly over time. It's like, what the hell is he doing with the broomstick? Right. <laughs> but it's so, the best way to train those movement patterns. It's, it's great. Whatever it is, a broomstick or a dowel. <laughs> yeah. <to> do it. <laughs> So I, I know we're starting to get them over here, but the, so freshman packages are coming out for college athletes. How closely do you try to replicate the training programs that are in their, their summer workout packets? Are you just looking for kind of take some of the big takeaways, just seeing what kind of program they're going into, or do you follow to a T or what's, what's your approach on that? Mm -hmm. So I have a handful of college girls who come back in the summer and they'll come into the facility with their packets and I'll take a look at it. And I mean, for the most part, I, I love what their strength coaches are doing. A lot of them are playing D1 and D3. So they're playing at a high level. They have very smart strength coaches, but sometimes they'll, they'll ask me for more volume because they can handle it and, and they have a high work capacity. So I'll give them more volume. I think like strength coaches at the college level sometimes are a bit more reserved when giving the lifting packets because they don't know who they're seeing or if they're doing it on their own. So sometimes the, there's not a lot of movements for the strength days. So some of my girls will ask for more hip work or maybe more core stability work and more, more pull-up variations. Um, so that's how I, I tweak the programs. But for the most part, we keep them the same. And the girls just come in to work out and I just help them execute the program just because I don't want to step on the strength coach's toes or confuse the athlete. I want them to stick with what they've been doing, unless it's something that's like completely crazy, which I have seen. I mean, I have a girl D3 soccer player now who like Erica, my coach is making me run 
a mile three times a day on a Tuesday. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> something I'll be changing <laughs> because if I wasn't, then I'll be doing her a disservice as a soccer player. I mean, first of all, it's, it's way too much, way too much volume. It's not, it's not game specific um, as far as conditioning and it's just, it's wiping her out. Um, so that's like one thing that was extreme. I actually had to change <laughs> and step in. So what's the, what's the happy medium there? So I get on one hand, it's interesting that you said that because I've had, you know, this is, this will be, I think the ninth podcast and I've had a few of them already where, where running has come up exactly in this, the same scenario where, where it's, it's almost, it's almost frowned upon. So how, how do you appease the strength and conditioning coach and that do you, just completely negate the running part of it or do you recommend intervals or something like that just as as just to kind of make everyone happy well in this situation I'm I talked to the athlete about it and she she wants me to write her program mm -hmm. so I mean she's going to still do some of the things that her team is doing um, but she was the one who was like, no, like I need to be doing your programming because I would feel more prepared for a 90 minute match as a midfielder. So I was like, okay, like, like I let's go. Like, I agree with you there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also the head coach designing it. They don't have a strength coach. So I don't feel like it's that big of an issue. So I, it's doing the kid more of a, a service to write a strength and conditioning plan in this case. So another thing I've, I've kind of come across, and this has been the case across a lot of these, these similar types of sports where they're under prolonged duress for the duration of a, of an event of a, of a game. But what do you think about the, uh, the beep test and its application to uh, college athletes as, as a testing mechanism? Mm -hmm. I, I like it. Um, it definitely is good for, for anaerobic capacity and just being able to keep your speed under fatigue, uh, which I like. Um, I, I don't use it in my personal programming, but I, I know a lot of college strength coaches who do and they, they've had success with it. So, um, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's a great test. The, the yo-yo test has been, has been really great for soccer players. I do shuttle and 60 shuttles for, for my conditioning testing. And then if I'm going to have my players do longer distance, it's, it is a time mile, but I want, I want all my girls to definitely be under six minutes and 30 seconds. My, my upperclassmen and then I want my college girls definitely be under a minute. So like, I don't want that mile to be a slow trot. Um, even like over seven minutes. I, I can't agree with that. I, I want it to be basically a sprint. <laughs> that's good. What, so that's some of your conditioning uh, markers and metrics. What, what other, so, you know, it had this been 25 years ago, one, I don't think we, we'd see too many females, performing strength and conditioning program but even if we were the the traditional thing in strength and conditioning for uh, markers of improvement have always been one rep max testing how do you feel about that and what kind of what other kind of markers are you using to determine program efficacy mm -hmm. i don't do one rep one rep sorry one rm testing anywhere i can't yeah. speak today <laughs> um 
I just soccer is more of a a power and anaerobic aerobic sport. So I don't want to waste a, a preseason testing strength. I'd rather test things like movement quality. So I do a modified FMS um, and just making sure they're able to to get in uncomfortable positions and change direction efficiently. And they're able to accelerate with good technique and sprint with good technique. So I'm doing more just movement, basic movement assessment, and then a lot of lower body power. So we'll do a, a broad jump, a vertical jump test, and also um, a three time broad jump test where they're going from one broad jump to the next. Um, so just really checking out that um, concentric, eccentric action. Um, and then beyond that, just looking at ankle mobility and flexibility of the hip flexor. And it's just a lot of it has been assessment over time as well. And just watching my players for the whole year and just not looking at that preseason. And just if I need to tweak throughout the year, I tweak and we might have to make changes to their warm up or their movement prep for the day. And that's kind of how I individualize my programs as well, is just constantly reassessing, reassessing how they move. So the numbers for me, they're not too important for strength, for acceleration and speed, 100%. So 10-yard, 20-yard, 30-yard, 40-yard sprint. And beyond that, it's all qualitative and just watching them. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's tough where – just subjectively, I could see if an athlete's getting better or not. I mean, just based off of just, just principles of adaptation, you know, if they're working their ass off and they're on a good program, they are getting better. But I know a lot of the time, some of these more, um, some of the better athletes are looking for, they want to see metrics of improvement. And, you know, it's tough where I, I like things like, uh, one, of, one of my favorite things is um, having improvements to um, uh, step-ups just in, in increasing the range of motion on step-ups, being able to add weight, being able to do it under, you know, to, to, for, to not look like shit is you know, a very important thing. But that doesn't mean just adding 80-pound dumbbells in each hand and trying to just stagger up on top of a box. I mean, we're, we're really looking, we're looking for quality. And it's, it's kind of tough to convey that to the athlete where we, I think, sometimes know as, profession, as professionals that these athletes are improving. But I think sometimes they're looking for these, these things on, on the graph to, see, to make sure they're, they are getting better. And I know one of the things that, that I do with that is I, I love the concept two rower and we'll do, we'll do a variety of different uh, durations on that. And then that's, I think that's a pretty tough metric to beat for, for, for some quicker work. I'm glad you, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Athletes do like to see both the, the qualitative and the quantitative results. I think like as far as like the numbers for the soccer players, girls love to see that they're getting faster. So that's like the main one I show them is their incremental improvement in speed over time. And just, just also have to educate them with speed. It's like the longer you get into your career, when you get into like high school and college, the harder it is to improve those times. So just letting them be aware of that as well. Um, whereas like the middle school kids, like their times are going to improve based on growth and maturation, but also being in a strength and conditioning plan. So there's a blend of both. And I think like the young ones like to see their improvements as well, no matter like what the factors going into it are. 
How, do you have any uh, big considerations when programming for, for uh, boys versus programming for girls soccer players? Mm -hmm. Overall the same. Um, I mean, it's, it's really going to come down to the individual athlete. So based off of their assessment, how are they moving? I mean, boys, boys soccer players, just like girl soccer players need glute and hamstring work because a lot of them are coming in that classic soccer posture like slouch shoulders like leaning on their quads so across the board that's what i see with both genders um, as far as females just paying attention to how they're they're jumping and landing and stabilizing their pelvis area um, that's that's been a big one and a lot of female athletes struggle with with hip mobility as well so just paying attention to that um, but overall the the programming's the same and the the girls will do pull-ups like the guys they'll do push-ups some of my girls are doing weight, weighted pull-ups and push-ups they're they're deadlifting a lot like they're very strong girls and they're getting after it as well so I don't I don't water down their their programs at all I really want to show them that they're, they're athletes, like they're high level athletes who, who need to perform. Do you have any go-tos for uh, assessing hip mobility? Whereas you know that an athlete definitely needs to work on hip mobility or it could kind of be pushed kind of to the back. Is, are you, is it just from the FMS screen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, deep squats, um, ability to hip hinge and then getting into a low lunge. So if they're like getting into a low lunge and like collapsing forward or they're not able to get down low enough, that's that's an indicator that their hip flexors are extremely tight or they might lack core stability. So yeah, those three are my big ones. And then we'll look at hip rockers. So I use that from the original strength program and how far they can sit their butt to their heels in a kneeling position. That definitely gives me a good idea as well. Do you do hamstring stretches regularly? Not really. Like I, I don't find that people's hamstrings are tight. Um, so with that, I look at the active leg raise test and that's it's usually an indicator they're not using their hip flexor enough so a lot of athletes are like oh my hamstrings are tight I'm like okay well raise your leg oh well your hip flexor is not freaking working right now um, and then I find as they do more reps of that leg raise they can begin to get their leg up higher they just don't know how to use that hip flexor so it really comes down to strengthening the hamstrings even more like I very rarely find people's hamstrings are tight <laughs> I think yeah no I, I agree with that completely I'm, I'm we're gonna we're gonna get a quote of that and we're just gonna plaster it up everywhere because that's that's uh, that I think that's one of the biggest things right now between so imagine there's four quadrants I think there's on the top half there's strength and conditioning coaches on the bottom half there's a general population there's a general public but if you were to break that top half into two, the only of the four quadrants that would have that right are, are the new strength and conditioning coaches. I don't think these old school people really understand that. I think there's a very yeah. small percentage of people that, that are, are not necessarily in favor of hamstring stretching. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Now I'm like, man, I really need to write a blog on this and just like go into like 5,000 words of like why your hamstrings are not tight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, even it just, I don't even think it needs to be that long. I think you just need like one or two pictures from an A&P textbook and that should, that should, that should wrap it up pretty well. Yep. And sometimes it could be an issue of just not being able to contract the glutes um, properly. So it's, 
it's interesting to look at. I I think soccer players are always thinking their hamstrings are so sore and it's like, no, they're actually really weak <laughs> and you're, and yeah. you need to be co-contracting with your hamstring, <laughs> especially when they're sprinting. One of the exercises I found as I, I found work pretty well to kind of help with glute activation has been um, like a, a frog thrust. I think I, I think I originally saw it from Fred Contreras's page, but that, that seems to be pretty fantastic. And I, you can't really cheat your way through that too well with anything besides the glutes. I love that one. That's, that's great for getting the glute max. I think like his EMG study said that's like the number one. So yeah, I, I really like that one. And uh, progressing with loading the hips with a dumbbell or even putting a band above the knees too. That's brutal. <laughs> but yes, frog thrusts are great. <laughs> now, I usually I'm when I'm talking with people, be it strength and conditioning for baseball players, football, or, or even swimming for that matter, I'm dealing a lot with people that work with overhead athletes and really need to get overhead. How much are you concerned with being able to get overhead and be it barbell overhead presses or whatever the case might be. Are, are you worried about that? Is, is that something that's a concern is getting an athlete to be able to be overhead? I, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm not like, Oh, they got to like be going doing like dumbbell presses, barbell presses overhead right away. But I see the benefit, especially as far as axial loading and helping with like bone mineral density, especially with like adolescent or like pre-adolescent athletes. So I'm all for the more we can load from different angles of the body. It's going to build a stronger, more robust athlete. So I think as far as overhead work, I obviously like we're starting with like dumbbell floor pressing first, and then we might do like an incline bench and then we'll do like a half kneeling landmine or maybe a half kneeling Arnold press and then standing military press. But I, I can't really remember the last time I've done a standing military press with my athletes, like half kneeling Arnold presses, like really do the job. And that for me, that's also more of a, a core stabilizing exercise too. So it's a good bang for your buck. It's overhead and it's, and it's core stabilizing. Yeah. And not, to, and I, I do that as well with the swimmers. That's what they're doing the majority of the time. If they are going overhead, I have them do it from split stance just to kind of take a little bit off that lower back, but yeah, that half dealing it, the, the breakfast for Morris is in the same situation with swimmers, just from that perpetual flutter kick. So we're, I'm really using that half kneeling time just to kind of get that, get that rectus femoris a little bit in, in sitting a little bit healthy in a, more of a healthy position than it might otherwise be with that heavy, heavily lordotic posture that you see so commonly with, with mm -hmm. extended athletes. Yeah, it's, I think like just, I saw, I think Brett Contreras posted this, but it's just really about getting all force vectors and, and applying those to the body based on your training. So overhead, lateral force vectors, transverse, rotational, and it's, it makes sense because we're, we're trying to develop an athlete who can handle forces from all angles, um, especially soccer players or, or team sport athletes. So I, any way to add variety to your programming is always good. I, I believe, have you read The Sports Gene by David Epstein? I haven't. I, I do love David Epstein, though. <laughs> I, well, you might, you, if, you, if you're familiar with David Epstein, you might be familiar with his concept. I'm, I'm blanking on the two terms, but basically he, he has two, uh, he delineates sports into two categories. There's, there is, there's a category of sports where you're trying to repeat 
you're from one match to the next, you're trying to have everything look identical. And then there's another, the second category of things where there's just so much uh, chaos and confusion. So on one hand, you have something like swimming where everything is identical. You, you start from the block the same, everything should look identical. And then you have something like soccer where there's so many different variables and you're not, you can't perfectly predict exactly the, the outline of what an athlete's going to look like at any point within a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what'd you say the book? That, that I think book? It, I, that might have been from the sports gene, but I'm not sure. I, I think I heard that, I, because I didn't read it yet either. I have it here, but I didn't read it. But um, I, ha I heard him in, I think it was a podcast with Dr. Peter T. He was talking about the concept, but it seems like it, it, it kind of parallels what you're talking about a little bit. I, I love that you're like so into like reading and continuing education because you've like listed all the authors and books that I follow and Dr. Peter Atia like his podcast is great like yeah. I don't know anyone who listens to his podcast yeah. um, I actually just covered him during quarantine and his it's amazing like I'm just trying to branch out beyond like strength and conditioning I just like listen to like psych psychologists and doctors and creatives and like he's legit <laughs> Yeah, I, I like I like him for for a host of reasons, but I think I think we almost have an obligation to the field to do that. I, I think if you get too bogged down just by the CSCS and you know if if you listen to some of these certifying agencies, you're just going to be doing three sets of eight on on four different exercises, and that's for per body group per day, and then that's that's the end of it. Uh, I think true continuing education is is in these in these interdisciplinary domains that just kind of branch out all over the place. Oh, 100%. And I think uh, Brett Bartholomew talks about that a lot. Like strength coaches need to learn skills in another trade or talk to people from other industries. Otherwise, like we're just like in our own industry sticking to like our own personal biases and like hanging out with the same people. So we're not, we're not really learning new people skills or new ways to build culture. So even things outside of training, it's like, we're also in the human business. So we need to figure out how to manage that aspect. And I think we can learn a lot from that side, from, from other industries for sure. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I don't, it, it's a weird paradox where on one hand, I really like being up to date on continuing education, but then on the other hand, I really like having to be, I really like almost being completely isolated and just a B testing almost everything on my own in the comfort of my gym with my athletes as opposed to kind of just blindly following whatever the textbook says. Gosh, I'm so, again, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's, I, there's a lot of continuing education, just being in the trenches and working with your athletes, seeing how they move and, and tweaking things and making sure they improve over time. And that like that for me is the art of coaching. And that's something you learn on your own in your own environment. And what you're doing in Pennsylvania is going to be very different than what I'm doing. Of course I can learn from you and, and how to apply, but like you have different athletes, you have different resources. So you have to do your thing. I have to do my thing. And yeah, it's just, I mean, especially now with continuing education, I can't tell you how many free webinars I have in my tabs right now that I have not gotten to. I'm like try, just trying to like meditate and like read books on culture and leadership and like really expand. Like I feel for now, like I'm, I'm good with the SNC. Of course I can always learn more, but like there are so many other things that go into 
being a good coach that like uh, that are taking priority right now. Well, like, it's, it's like what you said with um, with with speed with speed training with an athlete. So when an athlete's younger, they're 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 ta- they're shaving seconds off of their time when you have them on a speed test, as opposed to when they get to like a collegiate level. They're, they're shaving off hundredths of a second of time for, to be just as impressed with themselves. Whereas the same thing is true in, from the perspective of, of being a, an expert in strength and conditioning. You know, at one point, it was easy for you to make leaps and bounds um, in terms of your continuing education and strength and conditioning. But now you're just, you're, you're struggling to find those hundredths of a second, basically, whatever the equivalent is in education. And, and I think the easiest way for us to do that is, like you said, just in, the, in these outside domains. But that's, that's one of the reasons I brought up all of, of this, this, some of these outside resources is because I, I do know just from your, your, your social media pages that you are so active in, in continuing education. What are some of the best continuing education resources that you've gotten, either be it just from, from just building yourself up as a professional or from, from the perspective of strength and conditioning? Sure. So as far as strength and conditioning, I've looked at a lot of Lee Taft's work. So I've taken his speed certifications and I've actually retaken them several times just to sharpen my skills because there's so much amazing information in there. I can't get it all in one sitting. I have to go back again and retake it and I find something new every time. And then as far as conditioning, I've looked at a lot of Michael Boyle stuff. I've looked at different philosophies in Europe so there's a lot of like opposing views to boil so I don't just like look at people that like I've always followed for years I try to look at the opposing view as well and then maybe I come up with like my happy medium in between those two extremes so I think like as far as like coaches who are watching this like don't always like follow the same people like maybe follow some people who trigger you and who you do disagree with and then do your research and and see if they have a body of work and the results to speak for it and maybe that will expand your mind as well and then as far as just outside of coaching and and the soft skills i'm really into stoicism yeah cool (laughs) oh my gosh yeah i mean it's um i i look at ryan holiday's work and just how he summarizes stoicism so eloquently but I also have read meditations Marcus Aurelius and um it's it's definitely uh permeating onto my female athletes and just telling them hey like life is it is problematic like there are going to always be failures and things you suffer through and it's about that reaction Uh, and how you respond and how you shift your energy into something that serves you. So I've definitely really dove into the Stoics in the past couple years to shape my philosophy as a coach and the the athletes and the the character I want to develop in them as far as handling the oscillations of life. I've also read a lot of uh, Buddhist philosophy and leaving imprints, being kind to people. And I've read a lot of Osho, like what fear means. Like I've just, I could go down a rabbit hole of like Eastern philosophy right now, but that's like a two hour podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. But no, I I agree. And I think stoicism is almost an extension of Buddhism. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, no, I I agree with that completely. I I do think Ryan Holiday is a really good brand ambassador for for modern day stoicism. And and I, I, I feel the same way in terms of kind of, 
imprinting that that idea onto the athletes of just kind of being in control of what you can control and then just not worrying about what's outside of your control. Yeah, especially now. I mean, during quarantine, it's definitely I've had to really step up as a leader and be composed and calm and like let these kids know like we got this like we're good we're gonna we're gonna train nothing's gonna change we're just like on video and we're doing what we can control and we're adapting so like that has really like allowed me to like embody like my philosophy and like the readings of the stoics and like that's been really cool to like live that and to actually like practice it um (laughs) yeah well you're you're right in that i think leadership is almost synonymous with strength and when when your strength falters as a your your leadership falters so i i I think you're completely right and i mean the majority of time we just live in an untested environment and now we get to really kind of put put some of these things into practice and put them to the test yeah it's um i mean i'm excited about it like it, this all happened and it was like all right let's go like yeah and i just i think that just comes with like who i've always been as an athlete like i love challenge and i i definitely want my my young athletes to love challenge as well and be confident in themselves hey if worst case scenario happens and, and we all discussed this last week like guys if worst case scenario happens what what are several skills that you possess that allow you to handle worst case scenario. And we'll, we'll talk through that. And it's good to bring that out in them and for them to be aware of, okay, like you guys have strengths to like handle a crisis. And I think for young kids to, to learn that is extremely valuable because a lot of that stuff is not being taught in school. Like, so it's uh, important for me to teach life skills as well. Have you, and just kind of going back to like talking about worst case scenario stuff, have you ever heard of the fear setting exercise? No, I haven't, but I'm I, curious. Yeah, I, I, would, I would look into that. It, it kind of goes into what, what you just described. It's from, uh, I think it's initially from Tim Ferriss. I could be wrong, but I know that's, that's where I found out about it from. But basically it's just kind of doing a, a mental exercise of, uh, figuring out what you're worrying about and then actually kind of walking yourself through what the worst case scenario actually looks like. And, and when you do that, it's, it's never as bad as you think. And then I think it, it, it helps alleviate a lot of anxieties because it nothing, people are just worrying about the worry, not the actual thing itself, not the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the last thing I, I, I was interested in kind of going in, in, into detail with is something, um, just a little bit more about you. So, I mean, you're, you have a very specific niche in terms of strength and conditioning for soccer players. So how, how did that come about? How did you always know you kind of wanted to be in strength and conditioning for athletes? Yeah, it just, it comes back to it being a big part of my life for over a decade, (laughs) almost two decades now, but it's, I just see the the mental benefit of it all now and the emotional benefit, the spiritual benefit. And it's important to, to plan ahead when sports do end because they're not permanent. And like, for me, this is more about holistic well-being and um, I'm always about performing at a high level and being fast and being stronger and being more powerful, but I'm also about, being 
physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. So that's, that's why I, I do it. And it's, it's been cool to see that the habits in, ingrained in these kids um, at a young age. And it's, I know it's something they're going to stick with forever and, and they're going to take care of themselves. So that for me is, is huge. I, I agree. Just, you know, with ruthless performance, what we're trying to do, it's, it's performance enhancement, regardless of, of what the case would be, but it just happens to be that strength and conditioning is the best afferent and efferent just builder of, of human physiology just outside of athleticism. I mean, yeah, sure, it builds athleticism, it builds skill, but it also builds the central nervous system, it builds the mind in, in, in pretty remarkable ways. I mean, if you look at like some of the, uh, some of the studies they've done where they, they have people, uh, you might've heard of this before, but they, they actually have people kind of sit at a table and they have them sit on, they have them sit at, the ta at a table and they have them sit on their hands and they have them explain directions to a place that they know. And they could all, they all, the, the, basically the findings of it were that they were able to more quickly describe the directions to the location where they, when they were able to freely move their hands as opposed to when they were sitting on their hands, just basically just talking, which basically just goes to show just the value of kinesthetic learning and just the value between just the body and movement and the mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, movement is medicine. And it, it brings me back to this book that I always reread, and it's called Smart Moves and how movement is linked to learning and and memory and creativity. And I, I definitely feel that in, in my own life and like being able to move and try new activities. I mean, I went skateboarding the other day, like, but during my ride, I had so many creative ideas flowing in for like new blog articles and like content and like ways I want to like continue to spread impacts. Just like doing that, the movement and like a novel exercise, like did so much for my brain and my thoughts. And it's just, it, it really is, it really is medicine. And that's, it, it's something that, that we need to develop and keep building connections in our brain as we continue to get older. And, and we want to say, still be sharp. We want to still be able to be creative. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, even I know I could sense a pretty big difference in my cognition on days where I, when I get out in the morning, when I don't for like exercise or for even just for a walk or something. But I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson. He, he made, um, basically made reference frequently to the fact that he did like five hour walks every single day. And he didn't, he didn't know how people could, could go without doing something like every single day. And I get it. I mean, I, I see it completely. I mean, you know, we're, we're meant to kind of be, be, have adversity and to have struggle in our lives and to not have that is, would, would really be a curse. But so with your, your athleticism, I mean, even with just with you personally, I mean, you know, it's, it's harder to, to kind of get into a, a soccer league once you get past those, those uh, age group levels, what have you been doing to kind of fuel your own athletic pursuits and, and how do you stay, um, how do you stay kind of engaged with your own training? Mm -hmm. I like, this is non-negotiable for me, but I, I lift four times a week and it's in my calendar. So I'm, I'm training how my athletes would train total body, getting my strength and my power training. I'm doing sprints a couple of times a week, but I'm also doing a lot of relaxing activity, whether that's 
yoga. I go for very long walks as well. And that's when I tend to get my creative ideas like Emerson. I do a lot of biking and I'm big with snowboarding. Like that's been something I've like really picked up in the past four years that like I love almost as much as soccer. So it's been nice to be able to find a new hobby and be strong enough to handle it because it's very demanding and it's very dangerous. <laughs> so it's, um, it's something that I, I do several times a year and that's also a non-negotiable. I take snowboarding trips as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm almost addicted to the feeling of just being terrible at things, just that, that very early on stage in the learning curve. Fortunately, I was able to kind of expedite some of that with the fly fishing that I picked up, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that's, that's pretty remarkable, pretty remarkable perspective. Yeah, it's, um, it's nice to learn something new too. It's, again, it's good for, for building new connections in your brain, um, tying the left and right hemispheres together and figuring something out. And I mean, yesterday was my second day trying skateboarding because I mean, I don't know when uh, ski resorts are going to open again. So I'm like, all right, well, I got to find something like, so I'm like out there learning. I'm like losing my balance. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is like, it's kind of cool to like be teaching myself a, a new skill. Like this is, this is really good for me. And then you get the hang of it and then you get more competence and you get more confidence. And like, it's just cool to go through that process again. I have Heelys here. So I guess I can do the same thing. Go to the skate park with the Heelys. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate you taking your time to talk to me today. Where, where should we direct people to uh, kind of find more about you and how you train your athletes and, and so on? Sure. So my website is www.ericasuter.com and that's where I have all my blog articles and uh, my Instagram is fit soccer queen and my Twitter is also fit soccer queen and I'm most active there posting videos of mainly my athletes training and what I'm doing for like this different age groups but sometimes I'll post uh, me training. I, I don't know if people like want to see that but I definitely like to show people a glimpse of my programming at age 30 so yeah that, that's where you can find me and happy happy to help anyone with youth soccer strength and conditioning awesome well we, we appreciate you taking the time and I look forward to talking to you more and people can always find I've, I've been retweeting your stuff on on ruthless perform for ruthless performance for for, for a long while now so if people are like peripherally aware that that might be where they've seen you in kind of in, in the space of, of our socials. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate it. And I, I love everything you're doing at Ruthless Performance and our philosophies, both in strength and conditioning and, and soft skills definitely are in alignment. So it's definitely nice to have this conversation. Yep, us young people got to make moves, right? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, good, good talking to you, Erica. Thank you so much. That's a wrap on today's episode. You can find more about the Human Advancement Podcast and Ruthless Performance on ruthlessperformance.com. I specifically recommend that you head to our online education tab where you can learn more about self-improvement, the physiology of performance, practices for enhanced wellness, and more. You can view all podcast episodes directly on our website at podcast.ruthlessperformance.com. I also recommend that you follow us on both Instagram and Twitter with the handle at Ruthless Perform. If you have any questions for our monthly Q&A 
or wanted to learn more about training with Ruthless Performance, including information on our athlete development training, injury prevention and corrective exercise protocols, personal training, or for consults or assessments, you can get in touch with us online at ruthlessperformance.com contact or via email at info at ruthlessperformance.com. The human advancement theme was written by Bernie Wallace-Savage.